Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast. Welcome to the Alternative Data Podcast, powered by Exabel. I'm Mark Fleming-Williams. In this episode, I'm joined by Rain Gaysford of Jefferies, the US investment bank. In our conversation, Rain and I discuss how his role in the market differs from that provided by M Science, which is also owned by Jefferies, why some investment banks have been slow to embrace alternative data, and why some hedge funds succeed while others disappear. So in this episode, I'm joined by Rain Gaysford of Jefferies. Thank you very much for joining today, Rain. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. You're very welcome. Um, so, Rain, you are the Global Head of Data Strategy and Equity Research at Jefferies, um, which is a, well, uh, it's an investment bank, essentially. It was, it was, uh, it's a, it's a, would, is it fair to say it's a mid-market investment bank? We'd, we'd like to think we could punch above our weight, but sure, in that area. And the one small clarification, I, I work within equity research, but I do work for the head of equity research. Okay, jolly good. Um, and so it is, it's very interesting to, um, to have you on as a emissary of an of a, of a investment bank. We haven't, um, I think I'm right, I've had, we've had, I've had truest securities before, but I haven't had uh, investment banks very much before, so, so that's exciting. Um, but obviously, um, people know that, that Jefferies also owns M Science. The, the, uh, Jefferies bought M Science a few years back, isn't that correct? So that Jefferies has a kind of independent foot in the alternative da- data market as well. That's right, isn't it? Uh, yeah, we definitely have a view at the called the t- top of the house around the data economy, and M Science is one of the plays around that. We we think that there's um, a long term benefit to the space, and there's going to be some P and L streams that are beneficial outside of research, which is the area I'm in, and then also inside of um, providing data directly to clients, helping people think about it, process it, etc. Do you know? So um, you've been at Jefferies since July 2018. Um, do you know uh, when Jefferies became interested in the alternative data world? Are you able to kind of tell that story from the start in terms of the relationship of the bank with the data? Yeah, yeah. So there'd been a view, um, say, a year, year and a half prior to my joining that this was the future. This was an important thing. It was something that was needed to be part of how we viewed companies and how we thought about providing research around those companies. And so as a result, um, the the research department started to focus on um, how data could be utilized within fundamental research. And they started by looking at companies that used data within their own businesses. And okay, was that the change? Was that the shift of it? And then they started looking around and saying, well, let's uh, observe what our clients are doing and how our clients are best and which clients are most successful with this. Um, And one of the things we started to see, uh, and we in the Royal Week, because this is prior to my joining, was that many of our largest, most successful clients were starting to invest heavily in the space. This was part of the future of how they thought about managing their portfolios. 
And this was observed through data conferences and events and speeches and things like that. And so one of the other people at Jeffries, his name is Dan Furstenberg, he was uh, observing this in the marketplace through his relationship with, with primarily long short equity hedge fund clients and seeing this was a future of what was going on and started to then promote well, Jeffrey should help people with this. Let's let's look at this. And so got involved with um, a data conference called Battlefin. Uh, we can get into that a little more later. I'm on their advisory board. Um, good and bad things. It's great. Um, but I got involved with that as a proponent of utilizing data and how it was actually changing the way a lot of our clients were operating and how it was helping take uh, portfolio managers who had a thesis and get more proof behind it, get more confidence behind it, right? So the initial piece was articulating to clients, this is happening. We see it happening with other clients. We were interviewing them. We are checking with them. We're seeing the, the uh, a creation of data teams, the creation of more formalization around it. And then the candid answer was, I started observing this from the outside, right? So I had looked at the marketplace and said, well, from my prior experience as a risk manager, the most successful PMs I had worked with had used data. Um, they had always been looking for the next thing they could prove and defend and really uh, put heavy emphasis on, right? And so data gave them that. And so I had already started to believe heavily that this was a future of it. And then logically, um, the ability to find data sets that could answer a question that someone else could articulate, I saw that as a way that this was going to become uh, not a nice to have, but a requirement of a lot of firms, right? So I connected with Jeffries, came to them and said, hey, I understand this is a thing you promote. How is it being done internally? And at the time the comment was, well, we have people whose day job is X, they're also doing this. Uh, and I articulated, well, that's, that's fine, but there is a value to having that central concept of the team that owns that relationship, the team that are, can really promote the usage of data and can help others understand the value proposition. And they said, yeah, that sounds great. Who should we have to do that? I was like, well, I have bias. Me. Have me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I, so, I, I, I might be able to. Um, so, your, so your background your background had been, um, you had been senior risk manager at Baliasny, you'd been a director of risk management at Folger Hill Asset Management, and you were um, just coming out of being a risk management, a data strategy consultant at Olive Street uh, Advisors. So you had the, the risk management background. As you say, you were thinking... What would what made you think of Jeffries and and an investment bank as being being a good place for your um, your kind of next step? Oh sure. So I, I get this question a lot from people from the buy side. Well, why didn't you go to another hedge fund? There's great things about it. One of the pieces was I looked at the data marketplace and said, "There's a flaw here. The marketplace has gaps. People don't understand it. There's disconnects." And it can't be fixed from within an organization. When you say the data marketplace, you, you're talking in a kind of general sense. You're not like. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking about it as, as literally the buying and selling of data, right? And how much should it cost? Where can we get it? What rules of the road should be applied? Um, which vendors should be promoted? Which vendors should be encouraged to develop something new? So one of, one of my biggest challenges was I'd look at a vendor and say, you have the answer to five questions, but you only promote it as if you have the answer to one question. And as a part of a hedge fund, I couldn't actually teach them that. Um, no criticism against my clients or the hedge funds I worked for, but by their nature, they are 
somewhat secretive, right? If they find the answer to a question, they they hide it, which makes total sense. I wanted to be in a different spot. I wanted to be able to articulate to the marketplace and to my clients, this data can be used for more than you think. And part of my reasoning for that was I wanted people to become aware of the volume of application that was available. And you couldn't do that when you couldn't talk about it. And so one of the benefits of the sell side, the investment bank, is we publish our research, we, we cite our sources, we highlight the use case. And so as a result, I can go to a client and say, this data can be used to answer this question, but also this other question. Here's an example of us doing that. Feel free to do it. And that pivot was, uh, for me, a large part of why I wanted to go to an investment bank, to the sell side, because I wanted to be able to articulate the use cases and help promote the creation of these data assets. Because I, I really view longer term, the more of these come to market, the more of these are available, the better. The more we start to say questions are knowable or, or answerable, the information is findable, it is out there. Um, uh, a phrase I commonly use is, somebody wrote that down. We just need to go find out who. Well, by being on the sell side, by being in an investment bank, we can discuss that, we can, we can promote it, we can articulate it. And so... That was something I wanted to do. I wanted to be a part of bringing this from the fringe, the uh, extra thing people are thinking about, to this should be part of the investment process. This is mm -hmm. a part of how you think about answering questions. It's not a replacement. It is a augmentation of your existing process. Okay. So you joined Jefferies in July 2018. Um, do you know when Jefferies uh, bought M Science? Do you, remember, do you know when that was exactly? Um, I'm, I honestly forget offhand. I believe it was about a year and a half, two years before that. Um, they, okay. were, they were part of a, another uh, trading entity before that. So Jefferies was on a was on a kind of alternative data journey um, already in, in a different way. Um, but they, you were brought in, you're global head of data strategy and you sit within equity research. Mm -hmm. I think you've already given us a bit of a, um, a bit of a taster. Um, but what what do you see your role as being within that model, within that investment bank, within, you know, how do you what? what yeah, what are the prongs of your of your role? Sure, sure. So our, our first customer are the fundamental research analysts, right? The people who are out there saying, I know the CEO. Uh, I know the story of this company. I've covered it for 20 years. I wish I also knew dot, 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 right? They know the question. They're the one who's coming. And that's that's the, the big articulation around this that I think is key is they're the expert. They, they know the thing that's missing. We're the ones who say, did you know someone has that? Did you know we could go get that? Here's a, a, a place where that information is available, or maybe not that exact information, but something that's a proxy for it. Uh, you want transactions. We have, we have um, the data that would be used to describe the behavior that's before the transaction or the sentiment post the transaction. But both of those are interesting and insightful, right? So my, my team started with that story. It was me going out and saying, let's talk about this. Let's find things. Let's let's uh, prove to you that the holes, not to use it in a derogatory way, but the holes within your thesis or the gaps within your analysis are fillable. There are things in there. And not all of them, but more than zero. It sounds like what you're doing, which is kind of the natural way for this for this to go, I suppose, is that Jeffries had clients and clients were coming to Jeffries for, you know, help finding answers. And perhaps 10 years ago, 
then they would have been given the um, the the analyst within Jeffries, um, the equity research analyst, who covered that space best. And so he was he or she was the was the kind of the guru on the subject, and they would help as much as they can and 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 help find the answer. When you joined, it sounds that the, like this prong is that you. They also presumably they they still maybe get the equity researcher, but you they started going, hey, do you want the do you want the data answer as well? You know, we've got we've got Rain here, and and he can provide some really interesting data answers to your questions. And so it was a kind of um, rolling into the existing model in a way, but just saying, hey, data exists too. It's not just the old the old ways. We've got new ways as well. Is that is that right? Yeah. Well, even think about it as as the analyst would say, these are the five reasons I want to own the company. We're not giving an alternative. We're not giving a secondary component that's outside of that, but we're taking those five reasons, adding two more that are observable, right? Or we're taking something that they previously had an assumption. Uh, Historically, we believe that this factor about this company has been increasing at this rate. We've replaced that with, we counted it. We, we, We think more customers are going to Starbucks. Actually, now we looked at the traffic to Starbucks through cell phones, right? We know more customers are going to Starbucks. So that's that key piece is we replaced, I think, dot, dot, dot with, we know is a strong word, but we have a strong belief because we observed something. We actually looked at the number of people going to the website. We actually looked at the number of people going to the store. We we looked at how they're interacting with their vendors, or their customers, their suppliers, et cetera. And so it's it's not a secondary interaction with the client, like when we're thinking externally, um, uh, the client's not saying, I want to hear the fundamental view and the data view. It really is a fundamental component driven by data. And that, that was one of the big things is a lot of people thought about data for years as effectively quant, right? This was a thing that was going in and predicting a, a signal about a company. That's great. You can do that. But the, the I, I have a thesis that the real value is not necessarily... Uh, foot traffic should be used as a quant signal, but that for specific cases, when it matters, it gives you the insight into that company. And as a result, if you had a view that the company was doing well, this gives you a higher level of conviction. We, we can change your, uh, your assumption around this from, ah, I should buy it, but I'm going to put it on at 1% to this is right. I'm going to put it on at 5%, right? Because I now have things that I can point at that are outside of my normal process, that are observable and defendable, and that align with my thesis, assuming they do. Um, you know, If they disconnect, then that's also an argument. Hey, you thought it was going up. These data sets suggest going down. That's bad, right? Um, so one of the big things around this that I want to make sure is clear is we're big believers that if you combine the two, if you have the conversation with the CEO, you have the um, observations with the channel checks, you have the knowledge of the marketplace, and then you augment it with, here's one, two, five sets of data that also um, contribute to your thesis. Those together make your position size and your conviction, your profitability that much larger, that much higher. Hmm. Um so you you're seeing data as being at the center of the offering and 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 so a, a, a jeffrey's client is now coming to coming to jeffrey's for this advice and they're getting data first you know that it, you're you're kind of look they're, they're coming to you for data essentially and 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 the data usage as as is that a what i'm trying to get is is that a kind of jeffrey's wide aspect or is that your day job within the jeffrey's offering 
<laughs> it's definitely my day job within the Jeffrey's offering and, and my team. I have about um, nine people working with me now. Um, we brand a, a, a tag we'll put on data called Jeff Data. Um, we actually will then also, I know it's a very, it's a cool name. Um, we'll also <laughs> go out to our client base and we'll uh, uh, send them summaries of research that are being published utilizing data uh, with the explicit uh, goal of trying to answer the question of what else could we do? What else is out there, right? Because if you're thinking about if I'm if I'm on the buy side, I I am a, a single data analyst within a couple billion dollar fund, right? And my job is to help the research teams or the the portfolio managers within my my hedge fund. I don't know all the possibilities. I can't possibly explore everything. So what we're trying to do is send out a, a, a note, we call it the compiler, right? It's very, very data-centric kind of idea, where we're going to our clients and saying- I hope it's signed by Jeff Data. It is. It's the compiler powered by Jeff Data, a Jeff Data note. It's, it's great. Um, you know, you want to repeat those themes. Um, but it, what it gets is a client's able to see this is the type of, this company using these data sets, this is the kind of question we were able to answer. And so we're able to give them uh, a cheat sheet to go through on a regular basis and say, I'm looking for the next thing to work on. I'm looking for the next type of data we might incorporate. And they can skim through that and say, oh, wait, we also care about companies like this. Maybe not the same company. You know, I always use the example of uh, we might publish a piece of research on Nike. We have an analyst that covers that space, thinks about it actively. Someone may read that and say, yeah, but I'm, I'm not thinking about trading Nike. I'm thinking about trading Adidas. I'm tra thinking about trading Under Armour. I'm, um, I'm, I'm interested in that space. And the way you analyze Nike is very interesting to me. I want to apply that methodology for our portfolio to these other names, right? Or maybe to Nike, right? But by articulating to our clients, this is where we got the information. This is what we did to it. And this is how we came to a conclusion. And keeping those as three distinct steps, we then have a direct conversation with our external clients, with, with our hedge funds, with our asset managers about how they can do it themselves. right? And that's also a, a key thing we're focused on because as a former buy side person, as a former hedge fund manager, right, I would read research from client, from, from, the sell side from investment banks. And I'd go, cool. I agree with four of the five things you did, but one of the things you did, we at our firm think is wrong. We, we think you're misaligning how the market's changing. We think you don't understand the specifics of this company. Uh, we already have another data set that we think is superior to that in this way, whatever, right? We, mm -hmm. we just couldn't just drink the Kool-Aid because this was how we ran our portfolio. This is how we ran our business back when I was on the, at a hedge fund. And so as a result, we built up the data strategy function within Jefferies to be something that could be broken down and explained so that our clients can look at it and say, I want to use a different vendor, but I like how you normalized it. I like how you accounted for the nuances of this space or this type of data. And I'm going to apply it to a different company, but by taking just that middle part that that Jeffries can teach you, right? Because we, we open our kimono. We sit with a client and say, what do you want to know, right? And if we teach them that and we explain to them our reasoning, then they can say, I'm going to take the part of the reason I agree with, apply it, and go trade a $50 million position on it, right? If the answer was just, just take what I give you and trade, that's not enough. It sounds to me like um, 
because while you're talking that I'm thinking this, I mean, it does sound a little bit like you might be competing with, with M science in that <laughs> and let them hear me out in that. My understanding particularly where M science began was taking alternative data and then turning it into research, uh, which could then be sold as research in the old kind of equity research kind of way almost. Um, and that would be the product, but it sounds to me like you are taking data and you are crunching it and, developing research notes but the research notes are then uh all part of um your the research notes are kind of tasters for your primary um goal which is to be useful on a more consultative basis basis with your clients so it's a kind of it's a it's a it's a a lip wetter for uh for the for the real uh, the real stuff which is the kind of you know we want to be a kind of uh, and, and and so many of these words have been stolen, had been taken for other uses, unfortunately. But but be a kind of broker using data, like a like a um, you know, we're we're there to advise you. We know data, we can understand your problems, and we can advise on the data. But so the research notes again, it's all it's all part of the old investment banking ecosystem. Um, but perhaps M Science stops earlier and sells it just as research, whereas you're still using um, research notes plus broking in order to uh, for, uh, fulfill the whole investment banking Jeffrey's model for its clients so that the clients feel warm. Is that, is that a fair summary? <laughs> well, I like the warm piece of it. Uh, the, <laughs> the, I mean, the, the, one of the key separations is, so when you think about something like M-Science, they are a, here's a subscription fee, direct revenue, dollar cents for access to their product, right? Mm-hmm. And then the other piece of it is they are explicitly and by design purely data-driven. And that's, we have a data set, it provides us with, and that's my assumption. I mean, I, I, uh, yeah. I it's, there's big Chinese walls. There's kind of, you know, great, the great wall kind of. Yeah. Chinese that's a, a big thing to, to highlight. Like I have <laughs> yeah. a friendly relationship with them, but I don't see what they have. They don't see what I have. We are, we are for plenty of reasons, regulatory client relation and all that stuff. We are very separated, but if you kind of think about it as they're, taking a data set and if they can come to a conclusion from it that is the research we cover that name from a i have an analyst whose whole job it is to cover this portfolio of companies they're going to cover those companies whether they have data or not right like they're going to have a view about this the, the company regardless if if the data is not currently interesting or articulating a thesis they're still analyzing those companies, right? So if we fall back to the example of uh, foot traffic, um, COVID-19 is happening, no one's going to the store, but they still have a view about what's going on with that business. That's the analyst within the traditional uh, sell-side research kind of function, the, the main piece within the, that I work on. Um, if you're sitting on a pure data side, if the data no longer tells a story, you pause, you're, you don't have a story to tell. Right. And that's not at all a criticism of the side on the, the other piece. Like it's really just their business is much more built off of there is data period. I'm feeding into the belief of there's coverage of these companies regardless. Data can augment it. Right. Which is uh, back to that thesis of how do we think most of our clients operate? A PM at one of the firms I used to work at will stick with the, the one that's still actively trading, you know, at PM at Valley is going to buy or sell that stock period. The data may help them 
have conviction, may answer a question for them, may have pieces around it, they, but they may have a thesis that is undata connected, right? Like take the Tesla example of we can look at no, unit sales, we can look at cars parked in parking lots, we can look whatever. Yeah, but I have a view on Elon Musk's personality. I have a view on what he's going to say next. That's a reason to buy or sell the stock, not I'm just tracking the unit sales or or ASPs or their rollout of their next product, which those things are all data knowable, right? Like, yeah. hey, I wish I knew how many Teslas were rolling off the plant. Well, here's a image of that. I can mm. count that. I wish I knew how many being registered with DMV. That's knowable. We can we can track that, right? We can track the uh, the down payments or the deposits people are placing through transactions. Like those those are knowable things, but that might not drive the price of the stock and that separation is kind of the thing we're more focused on is at the end of the day we're recommending people buy and sell things right like and here's the reason and you can point to the data to to explain the reason um i'm so this is i think uh this is good news if you happen to be jeffries because um it means that your competition in this game is not M science, which is which makes sense because they own them, um, but it's it's the other investment banks because it's that um, it's 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 saying so a company is saying why Jefferies versus one of the other investment banks and and a reason that Jefferies has is has been much more nimble um, than the others um, on the use of data and actually yeah. use getting getting involved with alternative data and understanding its kind of myriad, myriad uses and perhaps some of the other investment banks are will give you the same thing that you might have got in 2004. Um, and here we are actually with Jeffries giving the kind of the data driven solution. Um, why do you think that is? Why do you think the other investment banks have been so slow? Why has why has Jeffries been able to, um, to, to, to get ahead in this and be a fast mover and, and, and kind of be an early, early mover? Um, why, why do you think investment banking in general has just I I mean and I'm saying it you know has has been really slow to to catch up to the kind of data reality. Uh, well, there's a couple pieces around it. So I I have at different times in my career worked at a couple of other investment banks, um, and as a result, you know, sat in different seats, saw different components of it. One of the things we've seen, and this is both from my seat at Jefferies and also from the my prior role, was the um, way that several banks first approached this was we need a proprietary ivory tower universal answer to this we we need to provide clients with the we need, we need to own this entire conversation end to end right and so there were multiple um uh businesses built in the last few years that are are now in closing or shutting down or winding back or whatever term we want to use they're not gone but they're they're definitely shrinking um that were built within some of our competitors that were set up to be the answer, right? We've explicitly found the source. We processed the hell out of it ourselves. We created this proprietary uh, method of analyzing it and we promoted the final result. And back to kind of my point earlier of it's, it's very hard for a person who's gonna go and put on a significant trade in their portfolio to do it based off someone else's final result. Right, like buy this stock because we like it. Well, why? Because of the data. Well, what do you mean? Well, we we bought the raw data, we did a whole bunch of stuff to it, and we came out with a signal that says buy. Okay, that's 
I, I don't know the nuance of that. What if I disagree with it? What if I don't, what if I think you're overestimating this one key factor that really matters? What if I think you're not accounting for the shift in the demographic profile or the change in their customer behavior or blah, 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 whatever, right? So that kind of business had been built. And my, my, my thinking about it, I mean, I'm, this is all me extrapolating hypothetically, right? Mm. Was that is a very traditional way for a lot of the sell side to think on, we want to own this debate. We want to be the experts in this, which makes total sense. Our clients look at us and say, I want to talk to the expert. Oh, you're the expert. Great. I don't have to talk to anybody else. Fine. I get that. And I think that we, we the investment banks, right? we the global we of all the investment banks approached this market that way because that's how we've done a lot of other things. That's how mm. investment banks have been successful. But I think the nuance of this space, when you say using alternative data, you really mean everything that everyone else is not already using, right? Like it's it's kind of, uh, uh, here's a cheesy example. People are always like, oh, you have data for the US. Yes, we do. What about the rest of the world? Like the reason why I would draw that relationship is solving for the US is solving for one country. Solving for the rest of the world is solving for every other country. Right. When we think about data, oftentimes people say, oh, you have a solution for traditional market data, uh, things that everyone's already looking at, the stuff I can see and no criticism to them, but like the stuff I can see on Bloomberg, the things that are out there. Yeah, we do. Okay, great. What about everything else? Like the everything else is so much more complicated. There's so many nuances to how it's used and applied that I think trying to own that entire debate is beyond. Right. So there's that. There's people who tried to own the whole debate and found that to be um, a great start. It kind of set the stage. People got moving, but it is in a unsolvable problem. It's too large and it also hides the nuance. So if a client wants to get into it, they can't. Right. So there's there's that approach. And we'll just call them approach A and B. They, they occurred a couple of years ago. They're still running to some form now. I'm sure people listening to the podcast can be like, I, I can probably guess who. Right. Mm. But then if we want to look at the rest of the landscape, we have, well, this is the way we've always done it. Right. And that's the same thing that I used to approach within hedge funds. Hey, why don't you change the way you're managing your portfolio based off of this one characteristic? Uh, stop. I, I always love to use the example of stop day trading ETFs. But I like to. It makes me feel good. I, I know, but you're not making money doing it. But it's the way I've always done it. It's part of my process. It's how I think. Fine. If we think about that as a corollary to the data conversation, and within a lot of sell-side entities, we have teams that have covered these stocks forever. They know them in and out. They understand the pieces. And the senior analysts grew up in Excel, right? They grew up in that kind of modeling framework, which is not bad. Excel is great. It does a lot of things. But you can't process five gigabytes of information about every single visitor to a business in Excel. And so there's that gap of, <clears throat> this doesn't fit into how I think. And that's not just a technical hurdle. Plenty of people can go learn SQL, build a database, whatever, But like or Python. Um, but there is also a logical step of this is how I've always done it. These are the pieces of it. These are the questions I've always thought was important because they were knowable. That's what my boss trained me on. That's what we built out. That's what my analysts do, etc. So there's this consistent just stability within being very good at what you do and not wanting to add that variation to it. And then the other thing with a lot of these data sets are they're not perfect, 
right? Like you can go to an established vendor within your sector and say, I want you to give me 10 years cleansed in this way, usable in this way now. And they're like, great, that's our whole business. It's a huge price tag, but we've been doing this professionally for 10 years, right? We, we have that data set for you. And it's kind of a, a table stakes within your sector, right? Like one that comes to mind, uh, I'll, I'll use it because it's so heavily used, like Nielsen within the consumer space, right? Like it's just mm-hmm. table stakes. People just use it, right? There's a similar equivalence within energy. There's similar equi- equivalence with pharmaceutical, right? There are just those kinds of things. That's what the analysts are used to working with. They're used to working with a vendor that's built for them, right? The alternative data space, they're not built for them. They're hardly built. There are plenty of vendors that are (laughs) six people. Um, They have access to an interesting stream of information. They're figuring out how to monetize it. They don't yet know what the asset is. They don't know how to pivot it. Um, And that's part of what also We Jeffries provides is I'll, I'll go meet with those vendors and say, Hey, you have something here. You're just, you're just doing it wrong. It's, it's, it's really interesting. It's just not digestible. Could you change it this way? Right? So back to your real question, like, Hey, us versus the alternative space or the alternative, uh, uh, sell side entities, the alternative investment banks. Why is it so different? I, I really think a lot of them are looking for an answer similar to the way they're used to thinking which is fine. I mean, I get it. They've been very successful doing it and and that's a a way of building their businesses. We viewed this as, I know that there is a new answer within this data. I know there's something that will be useful this week, next week, next year um, that answers something that our analysts have been able to articulate they wish they knew, right? And so by having my team, by having someone who doesn't cover the stock, but who works with the people that do, we just focus on the question, right? I, I'm not trying to pick the stock price. I'm trying to answer the thing that they told me matters. And I don't really, I mean, I care where the data comes from, but I'm not as focused on it. It doesn't have to be the vendor that analyst has worked with for five years. It's just who answers that question. Oh, you do? Great. Let's find a way to get that into a usable format. You're right. more of a commando than than infantry, I would say. <laughs> a bit more uh, we do subtle up, than... Yeah, we, we end up building quite a bit of infrastructure, but the, the answers are that one time. Like we use yeah. data all the time, but I mean, the, the highest value situations are when someone says, oh, if only I knew how employees really felt about the CEO right now, that's something we need to know because that's what's driving the company. And we go, we know that, we have it, here you go. And we give it to them and then our analyst goes out and publishes it and we are able to answer that question for clients because we could observe it, right? Uh, we're working with our ESG team around this. Like if only we were able to better understand how these ratings were going to change. Here is a framework to approach that. Let's work with you on that, right? So we want to answer the question that is driving the names and that is the key thing people wish they knew about or we're not just trying to say here's here's a uh, a data dump that happens on a regular basis you should you should look at the chart yeah um so we've talked about who you're kind of helping and how your relationship with your with your clients works we've talked a little bit about your competition what we um haven't talked about is your relationship with well we talked a little bit about it but the the relationship with the sources of data, there will be alternative data providers listening to this um, who will be saying, how um, how do I 
benefit from from dealing with Jeffrey's debt. And so the key question is, um, do you does Jeffrey's buy data from alternative data providers? <laughs> does Jeffrey's does Jeffrey's clients buy data via Jeffrey's? Do, do you kind of make the introduction and they're buying the data? How is how is um, the data being? Um, how is it entering the system? Sure. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, do I buy data? Yes. Yeah, we are a we are a customer. Um, uh, we advise people, but I don't want to be your buddy. Um, I want to be your customer. Uh, I want to, and I have selfish, blatant reasons for that. When it breaks, I want to be able to call you and say, fix it. When it's late, I want to be able to say, we need this. Here's a contract that says you owe it to me. Right. Like I, I, I want to be able, I don't get wrong. I like to be friendly with my vendors. I, I have very deep partnerships with them, but by being a customer, I can then also have a much more uh, understandable, uh, you know, relationship. We have, we have a contract. This is the terms of it. This is what we're working to do to make them happy. This is what they're doing to make us happy. Um, but that was a long winded answer to do I pay them? Yes. Uh, <laughs> but like, when you think about the real value proposition to a lot of our vendors, I cite my sources and I cite application. So instead of a white paper, so a vendor will, will regularly attend a, a conference and I'll keep, you know, pounding our own book. Um, Battlefin, Jeffries has, this, uh, has been a promotion of it. Uh, I'm on their advisory board. We go to those conferences. Great. Um, instead of just attending Battlefin as a vendor and sitting down and putting a white paper you wrote about how awesome your data is and how it correlates perfectly with fill in the blank KPI, right? That that's cool, but no one trusts it. You've cherry picked it. It's perfect for your situation. You've made it look ideal. That's that. Of course you're going to, that's what you do. But if Jeffries uses your data to then say, this is one of the reasons to buy this stock. Here's how we believe it applies. And here are the three caveats we'd give to it. That's action. That is application. That is that is real, right? And so that separation is huge. And so by us doing that, our relationship shifts from I'm just a customer who pays you and then you never hear from me again to I'll, I'll get the phone call from my vendor saying, hey, hey, Rain, did you just publish something using us? I'll be like, yeah, we did. We did yesterday. It just went out to clients. I'm uh, I'm happy to to let you see what it looks like. I always have to keep that separation because they can't see what I publish before I do, regulatory reasons, all that stuff, right? But they'll say, hey, did you publish recently? Yes, we did. Um, why? Oh, we just got five phone calls from people we've never spoken to before asking us about how you used it. Uh, would it be okay for us to understand more about it. We want to better be able to answer that. Um, also, these clients, we don't know, are these people that are real, right? Like, because they, they don't know. A lot of the vendors have no idea the difference between a significant hedge fund and a, a startup, right? They don't know which one's the one that may be the customer they really want, right? Mm. So the, the asset managers, the hedge funds, they're my clients. I always give the blatant comment of, they're the person I'm here to serve, you're you're my customer. You're my vendor that I pay, but mm -hmm. if I can help that vendor better understand the landscape that they're selling into, they'll both be more successful, but they'll also service the clients better, right? Mm -hmm. Like those guys understand data. They're really looking for an answer to these kind of questions. I'm I'm never going to reveal something that's in, inappropriate, but I'll tell the the vendor, you want to take that meeting, you want to take it seriously, and this is why, right? 
And that interaction is huge, I believe, because vendors keep calling me back for it, because what we're doing is helping them better understand who they're selling to and the nature of the kind of questions. Oh, well, we published on X. This will help you better articulate your ability to answer that question. And then if a client says, I'm going to buy that data, um, how did you use it? How did you process it? Why did you do it this way? We'll have that dialogue. I do always want to make it very clear. I tell this to clients and vendors in first meetings all the time. I don't resell data. I don't take a spread. I don't take a commission. I don't get a kickback or anything like that, whatever term you want to use. What I do do is I go to a vendor and say, if you work with me, you're likely to get exposure to other clients because our business is to articulate the use of your data. And then they say, well, I want you to do that. I say, okay, great. You need to structure a product that I can afford, right? Because I'm not a trading entity. I'm not generating revenue in the same way. Mm -hmm. So I'll, I'll work with them on creating a product that is not detrimental to their primary business, but is something I can actually use, right? So, hey, let's build something that has a delay embedded in it. Uh, that way, I'm not reducing your ASP or your average sales price of your primary product, but I'm purchasing something from you that has an embedded um, uh, uh, less than premium feature, right? It's, it's, it's not as great, but I don't need that premium feature, right? Like I don't, I can't publish in real time. I will always be publishing on a delay. So as a result, let's buy something that has a delay and my clients can buy it without a delay and trade it in real time. Oh, okay, great. Right. So we work a lot with the vendors on crafting a product so that we can work with them um, and so that they can work better with our clients. And yeah, I, I do pay them. Um, you know, I, I'm, yeah. I, I, my, my, my joke line that I use all the time is I am a, uh, uh, a great partner and a crappy customer, but I'm a customer. Um, <laughs> Rain, I think um, I think it sounds like you're kind of getting getting paid for the work you do in data. Um, you're getting paid for publicity in data a little bit, or with a discount. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's and I'm wondering um, I'm wondering how I how I can structure my podcast model to be to be, <laughs> paid, to be paid in data. And what what will I do with all that data? This is an exciting new future for me. Um, well, you, you just need a team of people to process it, and then yeah, exactly. To draw. I'm sure, there's a lot of there's a lot of value in there. It's like getting paid with like a a, a patch of Venezuelan ground, isn't it? And there's a, there's oil underneath it, but uh, it takes quite a lot of work to get there. But um, I've got. Uh, I think that's brilliant, and I think we've I think we've covered the whole the whole picture. I've got a I've got a kind of left field question for you to finish on. Um, sure. So, so brace yourself. Um, you have uh, you've meant you mentioned in, earlier on in the conversation um, that various of your former hedge fund employees or employers uh, don't exist anymore, and I hear it. I hear it around in the in the world that some people say there's too many hedge funds right now, um, and. Uh, submitted with that comment. And um, I was just wondering um, what, from your perspective, looking back, um, you know which ones survived and you know ones didn't, which ones didn't survive. Could you draw any con conclusions as to what is the best, so what what type of fund from the inside has the best chance of surviving for the long, for the long haul, um, you know, with hindsight? Oh wow! So yeah, that's uh, so you're you're asking me to point at certain clients, and be like, you're in for it. But um, uh, <laughs> no, absolutely not. Keep it vague. A, a piece about it that I think is key is uh, so many of these businesses are driven by 
a founder or a, a initial group or the name on the door, right? So when I think about the funds I've worked for and the ones that don't exist anymore, most of them were because the founder stepped away and said, I don't need to do this anymore. Um, mm-hmm. They retired, they'd been doing it for either a long time or they'd made enough money previously or whatever, right? They had been successful, they made enough money and they said, I could do something else with my life and I'm going to go do that. And mm-hmm. so as a result, it's not so much the fund's you know, there, there are definitely times, hey, we had a horrible track record or we had a, a, a idiosyncratic event that caused a P&L event and therefore we're mm. closing out fine. If we think about it from that perspective, like from a, I'll put on my old risk manager hat, I do really look at it, the firms that are actively managing the risk, right? Like the firms that are thinking about what could make them close their doors and protecting against those are the ones that mm. survive through those events. So the firms I have worked for that were able to recover from what could have been a catastrophic event from a PL standpoint and keep going, right? Or were able to pivot, right? I can think back at one of the first firms I worked at had gone through a, 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 an insider trading situation, right? And had mm-hmm. pivoted and restructured and changed the way they did things and made sure that that was not who they were and embraced it and said, this is not who we are, who we're going to be and how we're going to run our fund. And as a result, they survived, grew, and then, you know, rebranded, remarketed, all that kind of stuff. But the reality is they got their clients to say, I get this, right? So if I'm looking out now and saying, okay, which funds do I think are going to be our clients or are the ones that I'm going to look at in the next five, 10 years? It, it, part of it is, are you nimble or are you able to be dynamic? Can you think about it? Can you react to the marketplace? Part of it's also, do you have processes in place to ensure that you're not going to get blown up for something you don't have a view on? Right, like making a bet and getting it wrong sucks, but is fine. Right, that's reality. But getting blown up because you were not protected against something that you didn't mean to—that's that hurts. That's something that you really don't want. So I'm I'm a I have blatant bias. I am a big believer in in risk management systems and frameworks. I'm not just saying blindly rely on the model. I'm saying keep an eye on your known unknowns, keep an eye on the things that you can protect against and protect against them um, because it's paying a penny to not not go bankrupt is worth it, um, in my humble opinion. Uh, and then obviously, people who use data, you're going to do great. Uh, um, but <laughs> I hope that, that yeah, yeah. some context. Yeah, right no, that's great. That's great, Rain. No, that's, that's, that's wonderful. That was, that was, that was perfect. Um, <laughs> brilliant. Well, Rain, thank you so much. This has been a, a really good introduction to Jeffries and, and what you're up to there and, and the relationship with data. And um, yeah, very interesting. So thanks so much and, and best of luck for the future. Excellent. This has been a pleasure. And please, if anybody has questions, things I can help with, I'm pretty easy to find, but I, I do really appreciate the time today. Um, questions are great and I, I look forward to listening more to the podcast and hearing how things grow brilliant thank you